Welcome to the Family Biz Show, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of family-owned businesses. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, and in each episode, we'll bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and expert advice from successful family business owners and industry thought leaders. Hidden in this grandparent-grandchild philanthropy and in the process is actually young children learning to ask for something in a very safe environment. This is step-by-step, paint-by-numbers, Get your strategy mapped out system. Join us on this journey as we uncover the unique challenges and opportunities of running a family business. The best part about it is that the guys in the field didn't treat me as the owner's son. I was just another guy. But I think what's super unique about our story, we lost the business and we got it back. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's dive right into the next episode of The Family Biz Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today we have Ben Brandstetter uh, from Brandstetter Carroll. Um, welcome, sir. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Pretty, I'm looking at, you know, going through your website um, and just taking a peek at what Brandstetter Carol does, you've got some pretty impressive projects that you've put together through the years. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's uh, We've been around since 1979, so we've really had an opportunity to make an impact in a lot of different communities, starting out in Kentucky, moving into Ohio, and uh, really spread that out around the eastern half of the U.S. That's great. So what I, we like to do two things. One is I'd love to hear your story about how you entered the family business. That's a different path for everybody. Um, one and two. From there, I want to talk about when the company was founded. What were the founders thinking? What were they doing? What did the company do then versus what it does today? So, um, give us an introduction of Ben and uh, sure. your journey in. Yeah. So I'm actually fourth generation family business owner. Going back to my grandfather and great-grandfather, they had a asphalt paving business in Cincinnati. Okay. And um, so we, so I'm actually so technically fourth generation in that overall lineage, but second generation in our business. Okay. And um, personally, I, I grew up down in Lexington, Kentucky, and um, the uh, kind of the, uh, the rule in our house was you, gotta, you can go to school anywhere you want as long as it's not in the state of Kentucky. The whole, whole purpose was to get out, do something else, see, you know, explore, find out who you are. And uh, so in um, September of 95, I moved down to uh, Atlanta and uh, enrolled at Georgia Tech and, and got an engineering degree, civil engineering degree down there. Um, I, uh, I like to say I squeezed four years into five and uh, there wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the uh, the easiest curriculum, but uh, but I did end up getting getting through that, and actually met my wife while we were down there. So um, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, getting out of school, you know, I going to school for an engineering degree within that architecture and engineering engineering space was great. It's kind of the the first step, so to speak. But the good and the bad thing about our industry, there is a artificial barrier to entry with professional licensure. 
And so the way it works in, in engineering and architecture, a little bit different, but engineering, you got to, you have to pass an exam when you graduate college and then you've got to work four or five years and then pass another exam to get licensed as a professional engineer. So um, I kind of looked around and made a decision to uh, um, stay in the Southeast and uh, move to Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, with a fairly sizable civil engineering firm that had a national presence, but they did not have a presence in Kentucky or Ohio where Francis Carroll was located. And because um, the other kind of rule in our family was you can't come back to the family business, to Branson or Carroll, unless, until you get licensed. So mm-hmm. kind of that's the, the good and the bad of the bare artificial barriers to entry. And um, so I, long story short, I passed the PE exam and got, the, got those results in early 2005. And uh, my wife was pregnant with our oldest son, and uh, we left town and uh, moved to North, North Kentucky in the Cincinnati area, which is where our all of our engineering at the time was done in our Cincinnati office. Yeah, so. You spent how many years, and not including college, how many years working for somebody else? Uh, about five. So started, graduated in 2000 and left there in 2005. And, okay. and I tell you what, that company really, I still maintain a relationship with, with some of the people there, but the, from a recruiting standpoint, it would, they, I specifically asked them, do you guys have a problem that there's another you know, firm with my name on it, my family's name on it somewhere else? And they said, no. And this is what really stood out. They said, we want you to have such a good experience with us that you don't want to go back. They didn't, they didn't see that as a risk factor. They saw that as an opportunity to recruit somebody. And uh, that's what, you know, what pushed me over the edge to go with them. And I'm sure. thoroughly glad that I did. That's yeah. Amazing. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. In, in twofold. One, you know, every family has, and, and that's why I always ask, because I haven't had this journey in a couple or three, four or five episodes, to be honest with you. It's been a lot of, you know, well, you know, I woke up and, you know, after I was born, we started, you know, shucking corn or doing whatever on the farm or in the, I was behind the yeah. scenes of a, an excavator uh, by the time I was 13. And there was a lot of journey right into the family business. But this is the other side where it's the family has a rule that says you've got to go and prove, you know, prove that you want to be here, prove that you can be here and that this is not, you know, um, you're not entitled to working here, but you got to you earn right. it. I love it. But, and, I, and I will add a caveat. I did work for the company while I was in high school. Sure. But running blueprints in a blueprint room and being the rod man on a survey crew. So yeah. it, it, I did have that that level of exposure, but it was a different, um, it, it was a different experience. It was a different prof- level of professionalism. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, many of the people that were with us when I was in high school are still with us today. And so it helped having that kind of teenage experience, getting to know various staff you know, on just a very basic level. Sure. Um, sure. You know, it, it's, it's really been fascinating to see how that has evolved over time. And, and many of them are now actually now my, my partners in the business. That's great. When you think about your time with the other firm, um, 
what would you say are a handful of things that they did differently than your business, than, than the family's business that you were able to bring back and introduce and new things? Did anything come to mind? Oh, uh, there, there was a lot. And, um, and I thought, you know, when I, when I came back, I thought I was hot stuff because I came from this you know, big 2000 person firm. They know all what they know what they're doing. They, they do a really, they did a really good job of getting me to drink the Kool-Aid that they were, that they were making in house. Sure. And, and so I, and it was from being an engineer, it was something, it was a concept very easy to wrap your arms around and they have been very successful using that model, you know, but being a 20, 20 something person coming back, you know, I, I come in the door and say, okay, well, we need to be doing this, 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 and this. And yeah, and you're laughing. That's great. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, and I tried to implement some of that stuff, you know, with the stroke of a pen or overnight, and it just fell flat on its face. Sure. But it, I have been able to implement a lot, a lot of those, the, the foundational elements that make sense from a cultural perspective. You know, at, when I was in my, in your 20s, you don't, re, you don't understand culture. I'm not even saying I understand culture today, but how culture influences behavior yeah. and some of the, you know, how and why people do things, especially from an organizational organizational structure. So I, I did bring a lot of those elements. I had to tweak them and modify them to fit, you know, the, the type of professionals that that we have within our firm. And um, yeah, but it is, and it's taken a long time. Um, but it was a it, I thought it was a phenomenal learning experience to to see to see how so, how somebody else does it, and um, and, and that and that was really a two way street because they were open to sharing all that information. That's right? great. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I love that idea because basically you're going out, you're bringing out, you know, new information and being able to bring it back. And yes, I get at twenty you're not implementing it, but there's a lot of things that you probably learned that late through your career, you're like, I remember how we did this there. Hey, you know what? We're having some issues with X, Y, or Z. There's, let me just show you something that they're doing. It might apply or might not apply. And you probably have implemented some of those things through the years. Definitely. So, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Uh, I know. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Talk about the founders for a second. And when was the business started? Um, I want to hear a little bit more about the, the second generation, you know, the fourth generation being in the family business. What was that, you know, what happened to that original business? Where did that go? And if I love this history, the history of how yeah. did, how did we get to where we are today? Kind of. Yeah. So uh, there's a, there's a lot of different elements to that story with respect to, with, with respect to Branstead Carroll. We were founded in 1979. Okay. I was two years old, and uh, my dad, Larry Brandstetter, and Mike Carroll were working at a firm, architectural firm up in Ashland, Ohio. And they wanted to go out on their own. And so they actually picked up, um, picked up their families and drove down to Lexington, Kentucky, and essentially just kind of hung out a shingle. And and it's really something you don't really hear that story a lot today. 
um, <clears throat> you know, move into a new town, especially with you know today's communication is you know we have phenomenal opportunities, but you know back in late 1970s that was a lot a, a much different story, and um, they didn't know a single person in town, and they hung up a shingle and said, "Hey, here's what we want to be doing." Um, and then a couple of years after that, my uh, my father's younger brother Bruce joined the joined the business, and he started this our Cincinnati office in 1982. So um, that's kind of how it grew organically um, at the very beginning. And um, so you know, going back to that, the third and the fourth generation, the um, my grandfather and great-grandfather had the, an asphalt paving business. It was George Branstetter and Sons. So there, I think, I think, I believe there were three sons and, um, they were involved in the business of three brothers, you know, the father and three brothers. And um, that was, I mean, that was an operation really up until the last 15 years, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, but my grandfather didn't have a high school education. And so the education was very big to him. And and so he made sure he told his boys, "Hey, look, you know, go get go get an education, so you're not you know slinging a pick and a shovel every day." And so that was kind of the genesis behind that the original construction business shifting to professional services, right. and really that kind of that generational shift in educational attainment and expectations. So um, you know that was I think that was part of that, and actually. And I think it's really neat. There's a, a friend of mine in Cincinnati that uh, he is fourth generation in a construction business, and you know his great grandfather and worked with my great grandfather, and kind of and we've and we've just maintained that relationship. And and it's uh, you know so it 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 adds, and by developing those relationships, you it gives you a chance to talk about topics with somebody else that at least you feel as though that maybe not in the same exact same boat, but you're at least paddling in the same direction. Yeah. So up until about 15 years ago, the asphalt and paving company existed. What was the, right. how did that, did it get sold? Was it, who was running it at the end? Yeah, it, it ended up being, you know, the uh, a, a transitional issue. My grandfather actually got out of business in uh, the early 90s. And so uh, it was his brothers and there was one more generation beyond that, but it just kind of, um, it just kind of slowly faded away and uh, over time. Yeah. You know, it's, we need to hear those things because, you know, there's your grandfather was wise in terms of, Hey, let's go get, you know, get you educated. Let's change the the dynamics a little bit in terms of who we are and what we're doing. I don't want you swinging the pickaxe, as you said. Um, And at the same time, you know, that generation wasn't always open to planning and conversations and thinking about things differently. And, you know, I, I don't know a single founder that loves the word succession planning or exit planning. They just won't. And it's because, you know, it's, this is my baby. This is, I created this, I did this. And so it's kind of interesting when we would do, um, I'm a second generation wealth advisor. 
And so we would create exit plans and help with the succession plan and, and just think about it from a technical standpoint. And then we'd leave them this laundry list of here's the 20 things of the, the systems and processes you can include and how you fix your finances. And, you know, you need a, you need a, a leadership team that can help take the, the load off of you. And we would give them this list and say, good luck. And, and, and so think about that, right? If they knew how yeah. to do those things, they would have done them already. They might, if they were smart, they'd hire a business coach. Well, so what we just did is we said, you know what? Yes, we do all the exit planning. Yes, we come up with these plans, but let's go on, become business coaches. And, and here's why I'm telling you this is because then it's like when I'm meeting with owners now, and especially again, the founders, you go through and you say, yes, we're going to do exit planning. But wouldn't it be more fun to grow the business and then get it to the point where you don't have to do all the work instead of being the CEO, you can be the CEO. And they're like, that sounds better than exit planning and succession planning. And they're identical things. It's two sides of the same coin. Because if you get yeah. if you get that where I can be the CEO and not have everything on my shoulders, now you have a sustainable and a transferable business. So, right. And and I tell you what, I've been very blessed to develop some great relationships with other business owners in our industry and in, in kind of in the mark in the marketplace that I live in and, and other parts of the country. And uh, you know, I've I've gotten enough relationship capital built up with some with some of my guys that are in their late fifties or early sixties. You know, I'm challenging them. What is your exit strategy? They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. And I get it, but I kind of feel like the, as though that's my responsibility to them as a, as a friend and a colleague is to say, how are you, you going to get out? And, you know, and they, and the, you know, the third or fourth time that the top of conversation comes up, well, you know, okay, I'm talking to this person internally, you know, so we're going to, we're going to start having those conversations because I, what I, what I've observed is that even if the, the senior leadership or the principal or the, or the owner isn't talking about it. The rest of your staff are, they, they know that time is going to catch up at some point and you're going to have to do something. So in my mind, planning for that and laying out a strategy and trying to be transparent with your key people is, is critical, not to retaining them, but also giving them a level of confidence that the organization is going to be around, you know, down into the future. Agreed. Agreed. And that's by doing for us doing the growth strategy work and helping them to do that. We don't do CEO development or we don't do succession plans that are around the CEO. We do CEO plus leadership team. And so when you, when you add that second layer in the, the stage one is, the CEO training and helping the, the, the leadership team take more responsibility so that they can slow down and enjoy life a little bit and go back to you. You started the conversation about culture. I want that CEO being the king or queen of culture. You know what I mean? And I want them to really help build that culture and take the culture to, to the next level so that people can start to see this organization is going to be here for another 20, 30 years. Um, right. Yeah, and and I and I do believe that this you know the skill set that it takes to start something from nothing is a is a unique skill set. It's you know you you can make the argument that it's very American, um, but but, you know but that 
it, it takes a it takes a distinct skill set to get that done and to drive the growth from from zero to what it might be 10, 20, 30 years down a lot. Um, but I also believe that it takes a different skill set to grow it from where it is today to that next level. And um, you know, we've all been blessed with different 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 skills and abilities. We're not blessed with all of them. I think that's probably been one of the biggest struggles that I've had is realizing that there are things I can't do and things that I need to, I'm not going to be good at. So I've got to find people that are better at that or reach out to colleagues, build a relationship and, uh, and try to fill in that gap. Yeah. Talk about when, when the company started, were, are they still in the same industry, still in the same business? Is we, today? We are actually we are. Yeah, I mean the, uh, yeah, the 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 simple explanation is the the firm was founded to work with public sector clients to implement their projects, and uh, for the most part we've stayed with that. And I could probably go back and track over the last even you know ten to twenty years. We're, we are a majority public sector uh, design firm that yeah. serves pub, you know cities townships. Um, county governments, uh, re local recreation departments, um, utility agencies, and, and uh, general aviation airports. But I will say that we, as we have grown, we have begun. We have we we serve larger and larger clients, whether or not be larger cities or now or states or even some federal design work. And um, you know, so that's that's where that growth has occurred in adding on some additional marketplaces while also added layering on geography at the same time. Yeah. Tell me about your role with the, with the firm and how it's evolved and, you know, what are you doing now with, you yeah. know, for the firm? Yeah. So when I, when I came back in 2005, I was the, I ran our transportation uh, engineering practice uh, in the Cincinnati marketplace and that served mainly Kentucky and Ohio uh, clients. And then in 2017, I took over as president of the firm, and yeah. uh, my dad dad stepped down and well stepped stepped this over and became chairman. Okay. So uh, I think he enjoys that the, the title, the you know the chairman, and uh, you know, but essentially that gave him a chance to still be involved in the day to day operations of the business, um, and so we could kind of transition that overall leadership over a little bit longer time frame. So it wasn't just going to be a, a you know, a day, a one day shock to the system. Um, you know, but, but in that previous role, I was still, uh, still engaged with, you know, nearly all of our division heads within other divisions of the firm. So, um, you know, building those, building relationships with those people. And, and a lot of those people are still with us, you know, today they've been with us 10 to 20 years. So um, even though I was, I was focused from a practice standpoint on, on that engineering side, I was still able to open up my experience and, still, and build relationships with people that were outside of just the clients that I was, that I was serving and working with. Okay. So I think, that, I think that, that, that really helped me as I grew into the president role in you know, 2017 and kind of helped with that ramp up period, so to speak. So to allow that to happen a little bit, uh, a little bit smoothly or smoother than otherwise, uh, just trying to come in on day one and 
and uh, and and take things over. Sure. So Mike, Larry, and Bruce started the business. They're running it. Are what, what's their level of involvement today? You know how? What did? Yeah. What are, are all three of them involved? Not yeah. involved? What does that look like you today? Know, they're yeah. They're all they're they're all actually still involved in the business. They're still on the payroll. Um, and, uh, which, which is fantastic. And I, and, you know, dad stepped down from his, from, you know, full-time role, uh, a few years ago. Sure. Um, Mike Carroll did that a couple of years after him and then Bruce more recently, but you know, they're, they're still involved in the business. They're, they're still out there serving clients. I like to say to oversimplify, I like to say they're still doing all the things that they enjoy doing. They're just not doing the stuff they didn't enjoy doing. Right. And, you know, and so it, um, and there's, yeah, obviously there's still things that I don't enjoy doing or things that I struggle with, but I, you know, at my age, I've got a little, little more energy and I'm a little bit more closely tied to the 20 and 30 something workforce that we've got. Cause we've had a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of um, challenges that we've had with adapting to, you know, people that we've got people in our firm, I don't know what the youngest age is, maybe 19 with a, with a co-op or something like that yeah. up in, until their early to mid seventies. And so that's a pretty wide band. And if you think about the things that, that the workforce, the workplace has been uh, dealing with, especially just even the last three years, remote work policy, um, you know all all the technological innovations, you know, including Zoom and Teams, all that kind of stuff. We could probably have a whole separate discussion just on just on that topic. But you know, it it was a struggle for for myself and 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 our crew to manage that that rate of change that happened so fast in 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, from March, April, May into June of 2020, the rate of change was so fast. Um, and I think we were uniquely positioned to be able to uh, adapt faster and uh, and handle some of that stuff just because of the just the underlying knowledge of the technology and how it was going to work. Now, the, the the crazy thing is, myself and seven other partners closed on buying the firm from Larry, Mike, and Bruce on March first of twenty twenty, and then yeah, thanks for laughing. Uh, three weeks later, three weeks later, you know, COVID hits and the world gets turned upside down. And, we, and like, you know, if we didn't think that we knew what we were doing already, we really didn't know what we were doing. But I think that time period, you know, we, we adapted, um, really uh, gave us a chance to kind of come together as a, as a leadership team. We did for the, for about, I don't know, at the time kind of, uh, shifted during that period, but for maybe two or three months, we were doing daily 5.30 p.m. conference calls on what do we need to change here? What do we need to change here? What's going on? Just because things were changing so fast. You know, then we kind of backed it down to three days a week uh, and then ultimately one day a week. And now, and now we're not having to do that. But I also had to change my communication style as well. I'm an engineer. I don't, I, you know, I'm, words are uh, a challenge sometimes, but there at that time there was so much uncertainty. I I was you know so I was 
I ended up doing writing a kind of firm wide letter every night for probably about two or three months. And uh, sometimes it was two paragraphs. Sometimes it was three pages about what's going on. And really, and I saw that evolve into as much keeping up morale within everybody because everybody was going through this and there was so much uncertainty that, um, you know, I would, I would layer in, you know, family elements and stuff that I probably ordinarily would not have done because just kind of how my, how my mind works, right. but um, it really, and it, and it really struck me uh, a few months after that. And I, I was doing daily for a couple months and you know, sometimes you'd be up to 11, 12 o'clock at night writing this stuff. Um, and then back down to kind of three days a week and then one day a week. And now that's kind of, it's, it's gone away, but it was really interesting. Um, one of the people that works for us in Lexington said, Hey, you know, we, my, our fam my family really enjoys reading your emails every night. They were, they were reading it to their kids and they and there, it was mostly appropriate stuff for kids, yeah. uh, in that, uh, in that content. But, um, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a rallying cry. And I think that, uh, that, that did a lot for going back to culture. I think that went did a lot for our culture. That's awesome. I hope that. All of your, you know, team members that you have kept some of that personal stuff and that vulnerability with your team alive. Um, I think that might be one of the biggest gifts that COVID did for business owners. You're right. And I, and I think vulnerability because um, that is that I think that's one of the most challenging things because you always want to show you know, hey, I'm in control. I know what we're doing. Hey, you need to follow me. But being, but trying to be vulnerable at the same time is is very challenging. And so um, it, I think you're right. It probably was a very good thing for society because we, within about a year and a half ago, we, we updated our core values. We simplified them. And we had an authenticity mm. was one of those. And, um, and that was a really interesting conversation to have with our staff firm wide and talk about why is this important. But I think the workforce of today really uh, yearns for that authenticity. Um, and, I, and the challenge that I've got as we get as we get larger is maintaining that authenticity, kind of the, the personal touch with everybody. And uh, it gets more challenging every day as you know, we're, we're up to about 80 employees firm wide. And, um, and, I, and I, I even talk about that with friend, other friends that are business owners. Um, as, as their organizations have grown, that's something that they, that they struggle with as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I say is the CEO's number one president's number one job, whoever's running that company, it is culture. And it's and it's working really hard and beating that drum over and over again and keeping that rhythm in terms of what is our culture, along with I think the two are culture and strategy. It's here's our strategy and this is we we need to, it needs to be clear and simple and communicated over and over and over. Yeah, and that uh, and and that's a very challenging thing to do. Number one, because you, you because 
you, you don't want to have the same content. You want, you want to keep things fresh. But then that puts a lot of stress on the person who's developing that content to keep it fresh and keep it relevant at the same time. I'll share something with you. I try to, you know, every once in a while, if I get a little, think I have a nugget to share with you. I had an, I had um, a 401k plan that I was managing for one of our families. They had 75 employees would come in for the employee meeting once a year that we would do. And I created the, you know, here's the employee education process. And I used the same slides over and over again every single year. And I was really nervous about it. Somebody, I heard this from somebody else and they're like, just trust me, Michael. These are the seven things. These are the five things that every employee needs to, to know. Just keep using the same slides. And I was the guy that said, I need new things. Well, three years into doing it for this you know, group of employees, one of the employees comes up to me that had been at every single one and said, I just want to let you know, Mike, this year was so much better than last year. And you're laughing. And, and that's exactly it. It's so, you know, I don't, I would challenge you or just, or, or encourage you not to change the content too often. Yeah. And that it's keeping it that same. It doesn't have to be fresh because it's, they just, people need to keep hearing the same thing over and over again. That's what keeps it clear and concise for them to say, oh, it's still this great. And, yeah. and there's no confusion in that, you know, until it until it does change. So right, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was really that was a, that was a shocker for me. And so when it happened, I'm like, okay, let's keep it simple, keep it on target, and and make sure they hear that message repeatedly. Yeah. Um, so you have seven partners today. What's the leadership team look like for the company today? So. We've got, uh, I serve as, I serve as president, and then we've got um, division heads that essentially report, report back up to me. We've got uh, three divisions in Lexington, uh, one in Cincinnati, one in Cleveland, and, uh, and then one in Dallas as well. And so we get together uh, over teams every Monday morning at, at 10 a.m. And we get, yeah, we we go through kind of our normal weekly reporting and it, it, it's very consistent and in terms of the format, but we also, that also gives us, a, gives us all a chance to be in the same room together and talk and chat about things that we're working on together. Uh, but also gives me that touch point on a weekly basis that, Hey, if I need to reinforce something or say, Hey guys, if we're having a major IT implementation, we've got, we've got that. Um, and then, uh, you know, another thing that I do is I've, on uh, Monday morning at 7.30, I do a, just a Teams conference call with um, uh, with kind of a, what I consider to be our senior staff in, uh, in our Lexington office. And we, it, it's just everybody's kind of on their way into the office at that point in time. And it just gives us a chance to check in. And I'll just kind of say, hey, guys, here's what, I, here's what I've got on my radar you know, this upcoming week, next week, whatever it is. Um, sometimes that phone call lasts for five minutes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes, but yeah. it gives, but it gives us that regular touch point because, you know, you get down, you get to the course of the week, people get busy and you're, you're tied up, you're working on, you're serving clients and working on projects. Um, so I think, you know, those little elements give us a good chance to kind of just, to, you know, to do a touch base, 
I try to keep it as as open as possible. I don't I I don't want it to be me talking to them and saying, hey, here's what and just you know assigning tasks. It's like, okay, what does everybody think about this? And try to you know, the, the challenge is asking open-ended questions and trying to elicit some responses. And um, and we've made it really open, we've opened that up to really anybody on the kind of on the on the senior leadership position within the firm is welcome to join. And uh, some do and some don't. And it's like, that's fine. You know, I, well, I'm not going to, it's not, I'm not going to criticize you or if you choose not to. Um, but, uh, but, it, but that provides an opportunity to give people a seat at the table in the decision-making process. So, um, and then I, the other, then I have a, uh, a controller, full-time controller that, that reports to me as well. And uh, so that's kind of the basic organizational structure that we've got. Sure. When you, you know, looking at the last 15 years or so and looking at the projects that you've performed and put together, what are some of the ones that are you're most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, you know, the, this is, some of these are going to sound a little bit odd. We do a lot of the public safety uh, space. And uh, we did a fairly sizable uh, county jail facility in Kentucky, uh, probably about Oh, shoot. It actually was about 15 years ago, and uh, we it provided it was a brand new facility, and it and um, the thing that, that I'm most proud of about that aspect of that project is the fact that we it was we gave an environment a an environment for the people that work in that facility. We gave them a quality environment. Mm-hmm. We improved their quality of life. Because they had been in the facility that has it was it had been long past its prime, and jail facilities are tough to maintain. They get and so um, I frankly I don't know how they recruited people to come in and work in that in that previous facility on a day to day basis. And so you know then we we build this new facility, and it's you know bright open. It provides them a better way to manage manage the the people that they that they're housed in there. Frankly, it gave the people that are spending time in there a better uh, you know better space as well. Um, but it, I think the, seeing the impact that it has on the people that work in those buildings is really is really fascinating. And um, you know our our firm mission is we enhancing community and quality of life. And so really everything that we do whether it be a, a water line project that provides clean water to a you know, new part of town, um, a public safety, a, you know, a new fire station, the, the really the easy ones to identify are the parks and recreation projects because those are all, they're, they're fun and the kids are out there and, and doing a lot of things, especially on the aquatic side because you know, they make for great pictures and people, you know, people are rushing to get in. Those are a lot of fun. Those are easy. It's easy to identify how those enhance community and the quality of life. Um, some of the other ones, is, it, it's a little bit more challenging, but really at the, at, on, uh, at the end of the day, everything we do touches that, the community and the quality of life uh, for the clients that we serve. Great. Through the time, you know, the again, before the transition, what were some of the, you know, you're in a family business, you've got your father, your uncle, you, what were some of the challenges of working as a family together? 
besides Thanksgiving and Christmas. So here's a question. Were you the family that, you know, if you were together outside of work, you're you, you're talking projects and you're talking shop because it was just. You know, I, I, I think we did that and we in an appropriate amount. Yeah. Right. It, it didn't dominate the conversations. Um, and and, I, and I'll, I'll have to give my wife a lot of credit. She you know, she never complained about that. And, you know, when we were driving home from a family function, you know, why this, why that, uh, you know, she, but, you know, but she kind of knew what she was getting into when, uh, we, you know, when she said yes. And, and, uh, and, you know, she had a choice. And um, so that was, she had, she had a choice, but no, I, I, I think we, it was an appropriate amount and we, and then some, it, it, it depended on the, the, um, the location, what it was, but, um, yeah, and I think it, 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 different people have different different uh, tolerances for how much they want to they want to do that, and they everybody has a different manner in which they kind of decompress outside that Monday through Friday environment. So it's I, there is no right or wrong answer to that. It's kind of it's much more based on the, the individual personalities on of um, that are involved. When you know if if you and your uncle or father had you know didn't didn't see eye to eye on something, what was the the process for getting from point A to point B for you guys? You know, we uh, Richard Nixon said, you know, agreement should be you know uh, uh, what did he say announced in public and and uh, discussed in private or, you know, agree with, agree in public and disagree in private. Yeah, I'd say for the most part, we respected that, that type of, that type of approach things. And, you know, fortunately we, I, I wouldn't say that we really had too many major disagreements um, amongst everybody. And uh, so I think we've, we've been very fortunate with that. Um, so, you know, I think you, know, you, you kind of disagree, but then, however it ends up you walk out of the room and say okay i'm i am i'm on board with this i yeah. you know i may not have necess- this may not have been how i wanted this to turn out but this is this is the decision that we made and we're going to and this needs to be implemented for the for the good of the organization perfect you, yeah. you just a, a, a page out of patrick lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team it's, it's yeah. healthy conflict. Healthy conflict is good, but then regardless of the outcome, we commit to the path forward together. Right. And right. we trust each other. And it's all based because you guys trusted each other enough to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And as, as that circle gets bigger, the more you're going to have disagreements. And I think that's, I, I, and I think that is, like you said, I think that's healthy um, because you, I call it creative disruption. You've got to get in there and get a little bit and lay everything out on the table. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I do believe you've got to take emotion out of it. You've got to take emotion out of that decision-making process. And, um, and, it's not to, and it's not personal, right? Yeah. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not personal. It's okay. And, and, you, and, and two people can disagree and that's fine. And, um, but at the same time, we also need to learn through that process how can we make this better than next time? Um, we're, you know, we're not all not, not 
not everything we do is unique. There are there are constant themes amongst you know, across what we do, not only in business and serving a client, but in running the business. And you know, we can always make something better. All right, how are we going to do this next time? And doing a debrief. Okay, this is how we did it. This is how, this is how this went. Um, and I think the Blue Angels are a great example. They do that after every single mission and every after every single show. And they go they go around the table and talk about, hey, here's what I here's what I didn't do, but you know what, I'm still glad to be here. And so that that's something that I've been trying to work on the last last little while is to develop that culture where we do a debrief, where it's not it's not a why'd you do this or why'd you do that. It was okay, here's how we arrived at that decision. Time has shown either yet that was a good decision or it wasn't, but how do we learn from that movement forward so that we can do better the next time? Because um, we can't change the past. The only thing we can do is influence the future. That's great. Um, you mentioned you have kids. I do. How old, how old are your kids? And is anybody, do you think there's anybody that's doing internships or you know doing something <laughs> with you? Uh, they're they're 15 and 17, two boys. So I've got a, a sophomore and a senior in college, and uh, no, they're actually and they played in a golf tournament this morning. The older one won his uh, his his age bracket, and the, the younger one came in second. So they, um, uh, which is which is great. So no, I think the older the older one has an interest in engineering, but um, you know he's 17 years old and and. Um, but, uh, you know, so he, you know, what I've, what I've tried to do, and I think something that Karen and I have tried to do or trying to do here in the next, next couple of years is to get them a little bit more engaged in various aspects of what we do. Because um, not only do we have the Francis Carroll Inc., we also have some, you know, real estate interests and other, other things that we're involved in from a business perspective. And, a lot of those things that the you know the kids have been involved in that or they've seen that or they grew up and they had to go wash walls at the office building or sweep the floors or you know do those types of things just to get them to understand the responsibility of ownership and i think the the next level that we've got to do is begin to start educating them on you know cash flow and value and talking about what what those different things mean and and value is not just i have a dollar in my in my pocket i look i gotta go buy something um so i think that's part of that that evolution of you know as the as the as our kids get older we're blessed they're kind of a uh, they're only two years apart so we can kind of work on similar things together with both of them but uh, that's actually one of our what we need to do during the summer is i'm going to have one of have both of them develop a cash flow forecast for uh, for one of our properties and start to see okay here's how you manage cash and you've got taxes that are going to hit twice a year and just because you have x dollars in the account doesn't mean that you get to spend it today and and so we're going to start we're going to start working on that and kind of laying that groundwork um to to have to so that we can have more fruitful generational discussions about these topics and i and I'm I'm hopeful. I think, you know, that the the greatest generation probably didn't really have very many discussions about value and wealth. 
And I think the boomer generation's probably done, done a little bit better. And I'm hopeful that my generation does, does that better because I think there's more people like you that are out there driving those conversations. Good. As you're looking at, so we talked about, you know, the transition and whatnot. Now you're sitting in the presidency. If you look out over the next 12 months, what are your top three priorities for the business and, and where you're going? Number one is people. And I, and I know that's been a consistent theme. I'm in a, a CEO group and we get together on a, on once a month and we're, we're all dealing with that from you know, the, the, the startup guy to the guy with 500 employees or even a couple thousand employees. How do you attract and retain good staff? Our industry is very blessed right now. There's a, we've, it, see, it feels as though everybody is at capacity. We're concerned about employee burnout or, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to make sure that these people don't, you know, just say I'm done and go somewhere else. That's, that's a real, um, you know, that, that, that's a real challenge. So, you know, I think the, you know, the people aspect of things, um, frankly, Michael, I, I would say people, people, people. Yeah, that, that's, that we, we had to shift how we do recruiting uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, we now have our business development director involved in our recruiting aspects because she was out there selling the business every day to clients. Well, in today's environment, the last few years, we have to sell the company to employees as well. And people don't just knock on your, you know, back in the you know, 80s and 90s, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a job. And, you're, and people were begging for them that the tables have flipped and you know and it's i kind of follow this one away this is a good problem to have as a society that anybody that wants a job can can get it but it it really changes how we as a business recruit and how we as a business retain employees and trying to manage all those expectations all at the same time it um it, it it's very difficult Good. I mean, not good, but I mean, good that you, you've got your your fingers on the pulse and you're paying attention to it. You know that it's it's not going away either. That that this issue is not going away anytime soon. Um, it, no. COVID changed everything. Um, when that well, I I think COVID had was one was one element of that. I think there are some more macro demographic challenges that are that have been taking place i i also think that the the 2008 2009 financial crisis you know when when the development and the construction industry really got really got hit hard that was a time when a lot of people the kids that were graduating college in 08 09 10 couldn't find a position couldn't find an entry point to the industry at that point in time well, then you fast forward 10 to 15 years, we really, we have a gap in that 30 something cohort within our, within our organization. Mm. We've got, a, we've got, we've done a really good job of the 20 somethings and everybody else, but that, that 30 something cohort, there's really, 
there, there's not a lot of people, at least within our organization, okay. that um, that fit that bill. So it's yeah, I, I think it was I think it was COVID. I think it, but I think it's as much demographic, macro demographics, and you know that the uh, the labor attraction is not like you said. It's not going to get any easier. We're bringing back a ton of manufacturing to the United States that's going on, and we're seeing that in nearly all the markets that we serve. And I serve on the local economic development corporation, and we're seeing that every day as well. You know, so the the lower skilled labor is being gobbled up right at the same time. Now, technology, innovation, robots, whatever you want to call it, that's gonna that's gonna you know solve part of that problem. But the technical base in the knowledge economy, you know, AI can't solve everything. Correct. So you still, you still need those people that, that, are, that are creative, innovative, and collaborative to, um, you know, to, to get out there and serve the clients. Okay. You, you mentioned your boys, and one of them was, uh, um, is interested in the professional engineering or architecture. Right. We have a wonderful school up here, Rochester Institute of Technology. <laughs> And if he spends four winters up here, I guarantee he'll get him back. I guarantee. <laughs> well, he, he, yeah, he, we're, we're starting that process and uh, we're, he goes to a, a relatively small Catholic school in, in our area. And so it doesn't have football, you know, he's on the basketball team. So he's never really had that athletic experience. And so he's only looking at big schools in the South that have big time college athletics. So I'm, I'm sure Rochester would be phenomenal for him, but uh, that is not on his short list right now. Understood. Understood. Our, and yeah. I forgot to mention, when you mentioned Georgia Tech, you went there. Our daughter is at Georgia Tech right now doing, oh, great. Her, doing her master's um, in, what is it, human-computer interaction. So, you know, how, Wow. what is that? It's like the user interface, user design, you know, the user experience kind of stuff. Right. Neat. Yeah. Um, if you're you're part of a CEO roundtable, which I highly recommend to everybody, if I'm not mistaken, that's how we met. That's how we got yes. in touch with each other. Um, I'm also, you know, I do that. I highly recommend it. If you're sitting in front of a hundred family-owned businesses right now, and you're going through your top three list um, of you know, don't miss these things. These are these are what we what we have found work and are important. And I know you laid a lot of that stuff out, but if you were to summarize, what's your top three hit list for the family-owned businesses? You know that, that that's an interesting question. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is transparency, and that that can cut a lot of different ways. You know, transparency with with all the employees. Uh, transparency within within the family network, but um, really showing that uh, and finding way to be overtly transparent mm-hmm. um, and communicate that stuff. And I think that's that's one of the things that technology has allowed us to do within our organization is that we share uh, we share a ton of our data internally, so everybody knows what's going on. The last thing I you know the last phone call I want to get was, well, they never told me I needed to do this. 
well, you know what, we've created forums, this, 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 and this, for you to have those conversations, to, to foster those conversations. And um, so I think, I, frankly, I think that's one of the things that's helped us succeed over the course of the last five and 10 years. Um, let me let, you know, let me I, on that for a second, because I want to make sure, sure people get that. There's very often, especially in family-owned businesses, there's a lot of, you know, I don't want everybody to know our stuff. And, and I challenge people to, to listen to what you said, because what we've seen is that people know, you know, that people don't always understand the amount of reinvestment that goes in and the amount of money that's going out. And they just think that everybody is a millionaire, you know, and that you're making gobs and gobs of money and there's no responsibility and they do all the work. And I think that comes from that secrecy and that when you do get to be more transparent and start to show, you know, how much, you know, this piece of equipment costs or, you know, the, the, the taxes that we pay or, you know, the amount of money that's going into the retirement plans. Yes, I'm paid well, I'm, but most presidents of family owned businesses are not paid the, you know, if you've took a comparable public company, um, you're probably underpaid in comparison. I'll make sure my partners hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree um, transparency. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think the other one is is simply to have, you know, enjoy yourself, have, have fun. And I think that's what, one of the things that my, the, the CEO, CEO group I'm in, um, we, we we we're we're very intentional about enjoying the time that we spend together. Now we're gonna we're gonna work hard. We're gonna tackle a lot of issues. We're gonna you know talk about these different things. But at the same time, you know we it, it can't just be all business all the time. You've got to you got to enjoy the time you spend together, um, and all while celebrating successes. And I think that's something that we we do not do a good job of. We've got we we need to do a better job of that. Um, you know, so I think that I think that's uh, I think that's very important to get as a as an overall cultural aspect. Great. One of the things uh, I'll share this is I'll share this with you. Um, another CEO he noticed as he went through COVID, there was a rallying cry, and everybody kind of came together to get through it. And, and we talked about that for you as well, that you experienced that, you know, you, there was right. a come together during that period of time. And he said to me, you know, Michael, I really want that back. And I miss that. And, and I'm not the bad parts of it, but it was right. all of the people working together. And I, and so there's a, and you kind of alluded to this. That's why I'm sharing it. it. It's, we call it a thematic event. And so, you can make them fun. You don't design them. You you tell you set a goal around X, Y, or Z that the leadership team does. And then you put together a team to say, this is our goal. I want to create an, a, a thematic event so that everybody understands it and knows what we're going for. And for this next quarter or for this first half of this year, this is what we're going after. And when we get there, we're going to celebrate. And this is what the celebration is going to look like. Here's the budget. You guys go figure it out. And you bring people from different walks of life and different departments and different divisions and have them put together the, you know, the, the, the thermometer, for lack of a better word, and create the theme. 
based on the goal that you're trying to achieve. And by doing that over and over again, if at once a quarter, we're having a celebration, assuming that we hit the, the goals, but we should be setting yeah. goals that are attainable. Um, and it can be fun. It can be fun. Yeah. I hit and one story. I'll share it one last one. Share it with you. They said they wanted to get the $3.14 million. Oh, geez. You get it? So, it, yeah. so the theme was if they got, you know, if in a quarter, the 3.14 right. quarter, okay. if they got there that quarter, they got to pie the top guy. So, you know. Oh. Yeah. And so they yeah. had whipped cream pies and they got there and they took pictures and all kinds of fun. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that, that collaboration, it, it, you know, uniting people around a common goal is yeah. great. And really, you know, we started doing this a few, uh, a few years before COVID was getting everybody from all of our offices together in one location because yeah. people you know, talk on the phone. You, you don't really know who that, who that is. And to a lot of us, that was, it's like, oh man, okay, well, we're, we're wasting a day. Everybody's going to be out of the office. Nothing's going to get done, all this kind of stuff. But the feedback that we got after those events, be like, oh man, I'm, I'm so glad I got to meet so-and-so. And I never even knew what that guy looked like. And then um, we didn't do it for a year or so during COVID. And then we, we started, started back up the last couple of years. And um, the level of participation that we get, the level of attendance that we get is uh, really, it, it shouldn't surprise me every year, but it, it, it does in a positive way. And, you know, we, we do the mandatory fund type stuff while we're there. We have a good time. We kind of talk about the big picture of where we are and where, and where we're going. But, um, you know, we, we have, we place a, a, a renewed emphasis on making sure we do that on an annual basis, not just every other year, every three years. That's great. Any other words of wisdom? No, I appreciate, I really enjoyed the conversation and um, I appreciate you reaching out and, um, you know, good luck to you and in, in continuing this podcast. Appreciate it. We're, uh, we're, we'll be celebrating episode 100 sometime in 2024. So we're trying to figure out what, uh, what that one looks like. But we're pretty booked, you know, for all these episodes. This was a blessing Great. from COVID. So I, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom sure. and your experience, you know, and being part of a family business. Thank you so much. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. My name is Michael Columbus. You've been listening to The Family Biz Show. Um, I'm in Rochester, New York with Family Wealth and Legacy. And we look forward to having you listen in on the next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Family Biz Show. We hope you've gained valuable insights and practical tips for running a successful family business. Remember, managing a family business can be both rewarding and challenging. But with dedication, communication, and a clear vision, you can create a thriving enterprise that supports your family and community for generations to come. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Don't forget to follow Family Wealth and Legacy on LinkedIn and Facebook for more resources and updates on upcoming episodes. And most importantly, keep the conversation going within your own family business. Remember, you're not alone in this journey, and we are here to support you every step of the way. Thank you again for tuning in to the Family Biz Show, and we'll see you next time.
content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.